once you actually understand the numbers and fully have, you know, what it costs you to do business, those jobs, they're not profitable. They're not profitable enough at all. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to season five of Toolbox for the Trades. We're kicking off this season with someone who made massive changes to his business in a very short amount of time. In less than a year, Jeremy Lewis, owner at Gleason Plumbing, Heating, and Air, pivoted his company from commercial to residential, joined Service Titan, joined Nexstar, acquired a new business, launched an in-house training program, opened up a plumbing division, and rebranded the company. Honestly, I'm exhausted just talking about it. Jeremy was an awesome and inspirational guest who I think was a perfect candidate to kick off this new season and kick off a new year. Enjoy. Jeremy Lewis, you are the owner at Gleason Plumbing, Heating, Air, and Electric. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about you. You recently, very, very recently took this business over from your dad along with your brother. You did a, made a whole lot of changes in a very short amount of time, uh, but I'm going to kick off this podcast the way I do every single one, which is how did you get into the trades? So I've been in, this has been a family business. So my dad, um, I grew up going, doing HVAC with him. I have a sheet metal scar on my forehead from when I was a small child. My brother has the exact same one in the exact same spot because we were walking through sheet metal shops when we were four years old and we were going up, you know, going up roofs, helping, you know, I've, I'm an experienced flashlight holder. So I did that a lot growing up, but it's, it, it's always been, we never had a service guy at our house or anything. It's, it's always been, uh, my dad's always been the one that fixed everything, always had a business, didn't always have this one, but always had some sort of business in, uh, in the trades. So yeah, that's how we grew up family. Nice. Yeah. So your dad was very much always do tinkering around the house. I grew up the same way too. My dad's a carpenter by trade. And whenever he would say, Hey, come here and come here and help me for a second. You know, you were like occupied for the next three hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he, um, he does this and he's also a general contractor too. So I got exposed to a lot of, a lot of different stuff, you know, growing up. And uh, with the sheet metal scar, did you walk into a piece of sheet metal? How did that happen? I'm just curious. I mean, honestly, I don't remember because I was a child. But from what I'm told, it was, uh, yeah, it was probably something he was working on. And it was the edge of the edge of the table. But again, my, my brother has a matching one in the exact same spot. That's insane. Like literally, and your brother is younger, older than you. He's five years older than me. Oh, so it just was history repeating itself? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean... You know, when we were when we were younger, you know, my dad was still doing he was still in the shop. He was still doing a lot more stuff. And as we got older, he was out, you know, he was more in the office. But but uh, but yeah, I don't I, I don't know the whole story because I don't fully remember. But I do know it's from sheet metal and I do know it's scarred. So it's almost like you were marked for for the service industry at a young age. Yeah, um, we're like we're like Harry Potter, but just in a in a straight line across our head. Yeah, the, you're the Harry Potter of HVAC. I love that. Um, exactly. 
So you actually, so the company as it is right now, Gleason, uh, was once Gleason and Elfring, right? Yeah. And you were the director of sales and business development there for 10 years before you and your brother do- brought, bought your dad out. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the vision you developed for the company while you were in that role. So a lot of it started from, I mean, really, it started from reading a book when I was like maybe 20 years old in the summer. So as I was, so I read, I want to say I was 20 years old. It was probably in the summer when I was helping during college. And I read a book called HVAC Spells Wealth. And, you know, it's, it's almost everybody in the business has read this book. But to me, it was interesting because it was, it was the opposite of how we were doing things. You know, because we had always been commercial based, always been project based. So doing it that way was was interesting to me because I'm like, oh, there is another way. And then as uh, as I got out of college, you know, I pretty much went straight into sales. And, um, you know, as time went on, I was more into the residential. I was more into the customer service, you know, more into what a repair and replacement business could look like. And as a company, we weren't like that. We did, we did some of it, but not, you know, not entirely. So I had always seen what, you know, what it could do. I always knew that with a different structure, our profits could be a lot higher. And also, you know, there was the, the money is right away. People pay you right away. Commercial, you wait, you got to collect, you know, you have to hold money back. And I wanted to spend aggressively in marketing too. And a lot of those funds were, weren't there because they were always held back for the next commercial project. So that was, that was the thought. And the, in the Chicago area, the couple of the biggest companies around here are residential companies. I mean, they're huge businesses. And so I always thought, I'm like, I didn't know the answer at the time, but I always thought, I'm like, what are they doing? Obviously, they're, they're not doing any commercial work. Because our, our thought was always, or like what I heard growing up from other people is, you know, you have to do residential for cash flow, but, you know, the commercial is what you do in the slow times, you know, or projects. That's what keeps you working all year round. And I'm like, well, there's these other companies that are 100% residential. They're making it work. So, you know, what I, again, didn't know the answer at the time, but I knew it was possible. And so that was one thing is, okay, I got to figure out how that's the case. Because one day, if I do end up taking it over or I go start my own company or whatever, you know, that's what we're going to do. So I just, I took that time to figure out how to answer that question, you know. So while you were in that role for about 10 years and you were learning about the opportunities that residential could provide for the company, you were kind of just learning the way the business was and you were in some ways crafting this master plan in the background. Yeah, it was in my head the whole time, you know, and, and again, part of it was on our, our developing things too, is we would go after a lot of commercial uh, service accounts and have a lot of maintenance agreements. So I, I kind of ran the maintenance agreements for a long time too on the commercial side. And again, that made me think, okay, well, we've got here, you know, 150 commercial accounts. You know, what if we had 10,000 residential accounts? You know, what if, what if we could get all of those under contract and they paid and we knew when we started the year, we had however many days of work for however many guys before we did anything. And again, we had always done maintenance agreements, but it was, it was always, it was never the focus. It was always less, you know, we did them, we didn't, we'd, you know, we'd gain 10 a year and we'd lose 12 a year. You know, it was like a, there was no attention put on it. So yeah, it, it, it had been brewing in the back of my head for so long 
And I had seen a lot of things that I didn't like, you know, how they were done. And so when it was, you know, when it was fully my time, it kind of just like, you know, I let it all out at once. Full speed ahead. Yeah. While, while you were brewing, concocting this master plan, did you ever bring these ideas to your dad? Not really. So to a point, but again, the, the part of it was I knew that we had a structure in place and I was trying to just make that succeed, you know, and, and, um, so a little bit, you know, and me and my brother had talked about it a little bit more and, and yeah, we had talked about it, but not, not a ton. Was there any reason why was it just like, you didn't want to disrupt waters kind of thing? Oh no, we get in pissing matches all the time. It's not that it's just that I knew the way we were structured and we were doing things, it would have to be a drastic change. And, you know, at the point in their careers, they being my, you know, my mom and dad, the, I don't think the drastic change was something they wanted to go through. And, you know, as I push and push and push, and I can be a pain in the butt to deal with sometimes, but um, I just, I just knew that, that I, I could have no pushback on it. And until I was, until I was at that point, I didn't, you know, I didn't push very hard on it, but you know, again, when, when it was my time to do it, then I, I pushed real hard. Got it. So when did you make the decision that you were going to buy out your dad instead of just going it on your own? Well, so me and my brother have pseudo been running the company for a couple of years. You know, it wasn't until my dad decided to fully step away um, last fall, you know, around last September, October. Uh, so almost a little over a year now um, that we, you know, fully decided. And, and me and my brother had the conversation which was, you know, and, and I told him, I'm like, listen, we either have to go all in or we should just sell and be done with it because there's only two possible opportunities that could come from this. Either we're going to be wildly successful or we're going to crash and burn and fail. So I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, we could get a job somewhere else if we crash and failed. So that was, that was the agreement. Cause I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to put the effort needed unless I knew he was along for the ride. And, uh, and he agreed, he said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's do whatever we got to do. And then when we, uh, we started hitting it hard. Got it. So at a certain point, you know, it sounds like you were at Gleason for, you know, many years, you knew the way it was, you had a set idea in your mind as to how to make it better. And all you really needed was your brother's buy-in. And then once you guys took over, you were able to just hit the pavement. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the nice thing about the partnership that me and my brother have, we're very similar in a lot of ways personally, but we are complete opposites as far as our business goes. My, my brother has an MBA in finance. He is a super learned fellow. You know, he's, he's, he's much smarter than I am as far as that goes, but he wants to keep to the numbers. He doesn't want to be like the front person. He, he, he never did sales. He was always our controller. So, and, and I don't particularly want to like pay the taxes every week, you know, like that's not a super fun part of my day. And I don't know, he gets his rocks off on that. So so is he does that and I run the business, I run the product, you know what I mean? We're, I'm, I'm doing that part of it. So again, we're, we actually fit really well because that's the thing. And the other thing is I don't trust anybody else with my money. So if he wasn't going to be involved, I was just going to go work somewhere else. 
Oh, I hear that. Yeah. Um, I love, I don't get my rocks off by doing taxes either. So you and I are similar in that way. Yeah. And, you know, I think most don't, but there are the select few that do and um, thank God for them, you know. <laughs> so when you were brother and you, and you decided to go forth and purchase the business from your dad, did you guys have set rules, guidelines, contracts in place of I'm going to do this, you're going to do this and we're shaking on it? Or did you guys just already have that trust and understanding that you felt comfortable just going in 50-50? Yeah, I mean, again, we had already kind of been running things for a while. Not kind of, I mean, we had been. But we had been running it under the same guys as we were previously. But no, there's no other agreements or anything else. I mean, we, you know, I, again, I, I, he's my brother. I trust him. I wouldn't, I don't, ha- I don't, ha- I don't worry about it. You know, you know have you ever seen Jersey Boys where Frankie Valley never has a contract with the guy he writes songs with? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, if you're in a good enough partnership, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not worried about my brother screwing me. And then maybe it's naive, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. No, I'm not going to be one who's going to press you to uh, to think negative. I mean, like anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Lawyer up all day. I don't trust anybody, but but uh, but him, I, him, I trust. So no, we just and, and again, we just fell naturally into the roles that that fit us. That's awesome. So it, it wasn't an issue. That's awesome. Well, you've told me the best part about working with your brother. He loves doing the stuff that you don't like doing. What's the worst part about working with your brother? And the reason I ask is because I love getting into family dynamics on this podcast because so many service shops are family owned and operated. Yeah. Well, so if you ask me what was the worst part about working with my dad, I we could be here for six to seven days. But I don't have a ton. Honestly, it's not, it's, I, I, I mean, trying to think of, of bad stuff, but we, we don't really have anything bad. I mean, we're in agreement on most everything. And, you know, part of it is, again, we have a, such a good dynamic for a business because we know neither of us have ever in the history of doing things um, stepped on each other's toes in the business world. Like, we just, we just don't. And, you know, I, I know enough that if he says no, stop spending money, I'll stop spending money. I, he has not had to say that to me in a long time because things have been going up. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll trust that decision. You know, I mean, I think the there are some things that can be, you know, just awkward between brothers as they get older, you know, because I'm I'm the so I have I have three older brothers. I'm the youngest. So, you know, I think probably all older brothers or older siblings don't like are not super great about hearing what their youngest sibling has to say. But again, it has, it hasn't been an issue. So you took over as from your dad in March of 2021 and you assumed the role of president. Uh, you started getting to work super fast. Uh, what was the yeah. first thing you implemented and why? So I, we, again, I, I really took over last fall. We just kind of made it more official in March. But so there were two things actually that immediately I knew. Same uh, shameless plug, Service Titan, and Nexstar. Those two things, because there there was a couple things that that I felt like I I felt like I knew a lot of stuff, and what my most the thing I was most confident in knowing was that there were a bunch of people who knew a lot more than I did. But so we got started right away. We got onboarded extremely quick, so it worked out well. And then uh, again, Nexstar, I had gone to them before, and they said no there's there's not and i'm like all right then i later later the next year i had heard 
the president Julian on a podcast and he said, uh, they asked him something about social media or how you get in contact with people. And he said, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention to anything. The only thing I do is I, I, I will respond on LinkedIn. So at, in the middle of me listening to it, I'm like, all right, I went on LinkedIn, I private messaged him. Hey, I heard you on this podcast. I tried to join Nextstar and they said, no. And he, te- he texted me back, call, call Lisa. This is her number. Send her an email you know, we'll, we'll get you in and then made it, made it happen from there. So maybe I just had better intention the second time around, you know, but I had stalked him on LinkedIn and, and uh, I've never told him that, but, but um, one day I will talk to him and tell him how I stalked him on LinkedIn. Well, he actually listens to this podcast. Uh, so he oh. may find this out before you tell him Julian's great. And I actually want to underline this because this is another thing that's going to come up in this season, which is persistence, persistence, persistence. You know, if you see someone you need to connect with, or you want to connect with a particular mentor, best practice group, sometimes just reaching out and being persistent is the best thing you can do. Um, well, you know, I mean, to be fair, I was like a little sour about it. I was like, well, why not? And they're like, yeah, well, we just, we don't take everyone, you know, your area is full. And I'm like, I'm like, well, fine. I guess I don't want to join Nexstar. And then, you know, as time went on, I'm like, man, I really need to join Nexstar. This is driving me crazy. And it just so happened as I was thinking about that, you know, he popped up on a podcast and, and uh, so I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just go straight to the source. And then the Lisa, when I talked to her, she's like, why didn't you just ask why you weren't? And I'm like, well, you said, no, I don't know. I'm not, you know, but again, I, I didn't have as maybe enough intention. I didn't have enough effort the first time I did it. The second time around, I knew I'm, a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in there. It doesn't really matter what happens right now. I'm going to get, if I got to drive to Minnesota, I'm doing it. I love it. So first steps for you were Service Titan and Nexstar. And then within just a few months, you began pivoting the business from commercial to residential. How was all of this received by the employees that you inherited? Um, I think so. My core, my core management group, my install manager, my my ops manager, service manager, they were all cool with it. But it was they're cool with it as long as we have the work, you know. And, and I think there was, I think the field guys, there was probably the same sort of thought, which was, does he know what he's doing? Oh God, does he know what he's doing? Why are we, why are we putting away all this work that we had? So, and, and and we still, we, again, it took a little time to get past all that, but again, as we started making these drastic changes, so we had a, we had a company meeting this morning, an all company meeting. And, you know, I remember years gone by where company meetings were, they're, they were only for negative stuff, you know, and that was one of my things moving forward was we're not, when we have meetings like that, it's only going to be positive. You know, what we have one-on-ones with people, that's, that's when we can bring up things that need to be worked on. But so our meeting this morning was very positive And we actually did a survey with all of the employees on how we're doing. So there, and I told them, I'm like, please be honest. If, if you mean, if there's negative things, it's not going to affect anybody. You have, uh, you're you're helping us make the vision for the future. And now, if you know, if I had done this a year ago, it would have been a different. But now it's fairly positive. You know, it's pretty positive. Every I think everyone's, I, everyone everyone gets it now. Everybody's everybody's in now. It took a little bit, but everybody's in. Nice. Tell me about some of those early few months as you were doing the transition and you kind of were getting the sense that some folks were like, does he know what he's doing? How did you work through that? 
I don't care what people think. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, you know what? It, it was never, it was never super direct, but you know, you, you hear, you hear what's out there, right? It was, it was never super direct, but I do know, I, I knew I was going to, I knew I was right. It didn't, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, if you ask my wife, I'm very stubborn sometimes. And if, if I'm, if I know that I'm going to make it work or that I'm right, there's nothing that can stop. So I knew, I knew what to do. I, I you know, I knew the style. I maybe didn't know exactly what to do, but I knew to ask the people how to get there. So I just, I knew what I was going to do. So it didn't, it didn't really, honestly, didn't bother me at all. I am uh, not easily offended. Noted. Okay. Well, now I'm just going to be really mean for you for the rest of the podcast. I'm kidding. Try. <laughs> um, so service Titan next star, did you just have, were the first two steps? Did you just have this master list or master checklist that you were just going off in your minds? Like how did you start operationalizing after those points? Uh, it started started by the things I'm not going to do list. Ah, I, that's I, have a to, list. I did not have a to-do list. I had a things we're not going to do list. And yeah, so we, we started there. I mean, the one, the big thing that I knew really had to change available was, you know, I saw, I, we could all see it coming that the people who hold the cards are the people who have the labor force. So I knew we had to set up a training organization. We had to set up training in our company. We had to be able to take apprentices and train them, not just the normal training you, know, you learn on the job, but really put effort into them, really give them all the resources to do it. So that was one thing I knew we had to do that. We had to, to up the training for sure. Um, and the other, the other thing was we just had a, had a goal, which was we're going to do everything better than than the rest of the field, than what everybody else does, which sounds super broad. But what it is, is we're going to do the most thorough evaluation of the system. We're going to charge more money than, than a lot of people too, but it's because we're going to do the best part. Uh, we're, we care about everything. We truly do. We're, you know, and so that was, that was a part of it, hiring people for character as opposed to what their skill level was, you know, because we decided, you know, we can get guys to a certain skill level. But what we're looking for, like if you're a Gleason guy, like that's what we that's what we say. You know, we have we have all the employees and we'll say, you know, this guy's a Gleason guy. We know he's he's with us through and through. And if people aren't, you know, there's a conversation that we have sometimes. And um, so that was that was the goal is is getting everybody as excited as I was and not doing some of the things that I think were have negative effects. I love the idea of a things not to do list. You know, when they say that if you're trying to figure out what it is you want to do with your life, start identifying the things you know you don't want to do with your life. And that yeah. actually is a little bit easier to pinpoint than things you want to do. Yeah, well, the first thing was commercial projects. I don't want to do those anymore. I just, I, you know, they're not, I don't like waiting for my money that long. I, I don't, I don't like, um, you know, so that was, that was number one. But then we started, you know, all the, all the other, other things that we, you know, we had been doing that I wasn't really fond of, so. Got it. What was it like turning down those commercial jobs, which I know have pretty big sticker prices on them or, you know, paydays? So initially it was very uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm very stats driven. I love numbers. I always have. When I was a kid, I like knew the batting average of every player in the MLB. So like I, I can, I can tell you, I can rock out MLB statistics from like 97 to 99, crush it. <laughs> um, 
but so I've always been, I've always been into to that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I just, I, I, I just, once I understood the numbers, truly understood the numbers, it didn't bother me anymore because I had realized that we are doing three months of work and making no money. You know, sometimes people say making money where it's like, yeah, did, did your job cost more than what your equipment and direct labor did? Okay. But did your overhead, did you cover that? Did you cover everything else that's involved in that? And once you actually understand the numbers and fully have, you know, what it costs you to do business, those jobs, they're not profitable. They're not profitable enough at all. Did you have like a math equation or something at your desk that was like showing like that it's not profitable, it's not worth it? Yeah, well, yes. So we used to bid jobs a certain way. We used to, you know, we would, so the way we would bid before is we would bid hourly rate and then we'd figure out what our burden rate was, you know, and we'd add that on top and we'd do it by hour. And which, which again is, is, is a fine way of doing it, but, and again, Nextar helped me with this too. There, you know, it cost us a day rate for, to send guys out to do work. You know, it, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what's going on. Even, even if it's not a full day hour wise, the other costs associated to running the business are still full every single day. So there's a cost for that. So once we were able to understand what that cost was, and apply that to all of our previous projects, you know, like we did, we had a, a meeting. All right, this is everybody I worked it out. This is what it costs us to put a guy out there. You know, this is what it costs one truck to run. And then, you know, we get stuff out. I'm like, let's go through all of our other jobs, you know, our old jobs. And it was like, yep, didn't make any money, didn't make any money, didn't make any money, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it, it sucks. That's why I change it. <laughs> That's crazy. That's really interesting when you break that stuff down. I want to talk about the training that you implemented at the company. What did that look like when you realized that was something you had to do? The first thing was find a partner to help us, you know? So we do stuff with, with Nextar and their Next Tech training. So we're doing, um, they, there's an online portion of it where they're going through like essentially like um, a trade school, but online, you know, just like you, you could do for college. And they'll go, they'll do um, online videos, they'll do training, and then it'll come to a test. And then one of our, our uh, guys that's doing training in here will grade their test. Um, and they move on from there. Sometimes they get to a point where, hey, we're at this point, but now um, you have to make a piece of sheet metal in the office or whatever that may be. So they have to come in and, and physically do it. And we started, initially, we started holding um, apprentice classes on Saturday. So every Saturday, we'd have all the group of apprentices come in, and it would just be a topic. So, you know, one topic for a month was sheet metal. We had someone come in and just teach them sheet metal. You know, another topic would have been cleaning checks or would have been whatever it would be. So we started doing that. We've actually shifted our focus now where we're not doing Saturdays anymore. Every Friday, there's no apprentices out on jobs. They're in, they're in school all day on Friday. So on Fridays, we pair our leads together. And then all the apprentices are in are in class for eight hours that day. Nice, so, that's awesome. Which has been very, very good because, you know, having them an entire day is you can get so much done. Like we've seen a good advancement just just in that time. And my my uh, operations manager Rick he he has spearheaded all of this. You know he he's um, he's like a he's he's definitely a natural teacher. You know and um, 
actually after one of the seminars we went at um at Nexstar, he came back and just kind of took it and it, it wouldn't be there without without him doing it he he took it to a point you know even more than i even even more than or, or quicker than i i would have thought you know and so now we've we have a, a full classroom that we set up it's all fancy and we got like the the projector hanging from the ceiling like in classrooms in school you know we did the whole deal and then right now we're in the midst of building a um a fully functioning training lab so we have we have a, a little training lab set up now where we have equipment set up but we're in the midst of building it out so that we have a full plumbing side as well so that we can set up sinks so that we can set up a fully functioning bathroom but where you can see under it you know so you can see what what the pipes are everything so we're we've just been building towards this this point because again if we can hire for personality or fit bring the guys in and train them you know if if something happens to another employee or in the best part of it if we grow you know we just have a pool of people we can put in place and that's that's the that's the goal that's always been the problem is okay you lost somebody now we got to try and hire somebody and it's it's a disaster you can't do it that way so the way we have it now we just I mean again we we needed a service tech like three weeks ago like all right we need to we need to get another one out there to, to get the call volume took one right out of the apprentice Friday he was an apprentice Monday he was in the truck no problems and that was the smoothest best way we've ever had it done and and now we have this backlog of guys who were almost there or pretty close. And when, when we need to grab them and pull them, we will. And it'll, it's, it's, it's the best, uh, it's the best way to, to staff up is to be able to build something like that. That's awesome. And I just want to remind everyone listening this again, this is something that you've implemented in the last year, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like a really six, seven months. Yeah. All right. I'm impressed. That's yeah. awesome. Maybe, maybe eight months, maybe eight months. No, it's yeah. November. Yeah. Maybe, maybe eight months. Yeah. Still um that's awesome dude i'm so happy to hear that you've got that going and that you're working through that that is definitely hands down what i'm finding at the podcast the best way to do this Um, well and you know you can see in some of the next star companies who are bigger you know are really big they all have it they all have they're all training like that because again they understand that the you cannot grow and staff a company by hiring people off of indeed it's not possible it's not. So you, you have to build them. That's awesome. During this process, again, very busy year for you, Jeremy, you also acquired a couple businesses. Do you want to talk yeah. about that for a little bit? So, so we did a couple of things. We, we, um, we acquired an HVAC company, but residential, residential. Yeah. Completely yeah. residential. So that was, that was, that was the other thought was, okay, well, so we need, there's a couple of things. We're going to start turning down commercial work. So if we're going to start turning down commercial work, Oh, and by the way, we want to grow. So, okay, what do we have to do to to get to that point? Well, it would be nice if we had a lot more calls. So, okay, we're going to market, we're going to build a call center, we're going to outbound, but it would be a lot easier if we just gained like 5,000 customers, you know? And so obviously the initial thing was, and this has been part of my growth strategy the whole way is acquisition. So we uh, we found a company that was in our area, but not not directly where we are, but in an area that we do work in, they were a good sized company and they fit the mold. And when I went and talked to the owners, we got along so well. I knew that they treated their people well. So that was the kind of company I wanted to buy. I didn't want to go buy a disgruntled owner. 
you know, sure. I wanted to buy somebody who, who was good, but it was just ready to retire. And that's how they were. They were great people. And, um, you know, it worked out, it worked out really, really well. And then we opened a plumbing division and, um, in June. And, um, so we had to pull from there. And so, yeah, we just kind of, we've, we've done little things along the line that, that, uh, just help increase, but the acquisition thing is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's a lot easier to buy people. So for us, we're in the Chicago region. It's really hard to buy somebody in November and December when everybody's busy, but you start hitting like February, March, a lot of people start thinking about it again, cause they're slow. And that, that to me, that's the time. So, you know, last spring I was like, okay, well now we're who, you know, who can I talk to? And again, I know I've got prospects now and I know this February or spring, I'm going to buy another one too. So, you know, it's, it's the, it's the timing in our area. What's um, what was that like logistically and from a personnel standpoint? So we gained, uh, we gained nine employees from it and we have not retained all of them for one reason or another. I mean, we've retained the good ones, but, but um, you know, so my initial, so we, we actually have done it all through SBA. Uh, so the loan process went through SBA. They're just like giving away money at this point. So that was super easy uh, to deal with. And then um, as far as like the, the people we basically said, I'm like, no, I want everybody. I want, I want everybody who comes with the deal. We need it. You know, we need the, to go up. And then, you know, we, we retained, we retained, you know, 30% of them, I think over, I mean, they all came over, but just over time, you know, and, and again, that's part of, you know, I think you assume you're only going to maybe retain 80% if you do a company. And then there's, there's going to be the, you know, we're our way of doing it. And if sure, you're not sure. into our way, then, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, we got the customer base, their customer base was incredible. They, again, because they, they came from a company with a good owner, with a guy who cared, you know, these were, these were dedicated customers had a lot of maintenance agreements and um, he had actually been uh, he was not a plumbing company, but he had been next to a plumber. So they, they had been um, putting a lot of work. Like they had been recommending this guy a ton. So when we came in and we're like, yeah, we do plumbing too. They're like, Oh, great. So we actually gained percentage wise, gained more customers from the acquisition companies as plumbing customers than we did from our original base. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So it's, it's uh from that point, it's been really good because now we're marketing all of our products to so many other people, you know, we're, we're doing it all in house. So it's uh, you know, that that's the goal. You want to be able to offer the major trades inside, inside the house. That's amazing. Now that you're thinking you're going to acquire another business in the spring for your season, what are you going to do differently? It will go faster this time. You know? I, I was pretty comfortable doing it. I mean, we didn't get like a bunch of, we didn't get lawyers involved. We didn't get, I mean, we had a, uh, we had a business intermediary, but we didn't use brokers or anything. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with all the legal stuff. I always have been. So that part wasn't too bad, but what I would definitely do differently is I know the, I know the numbers and the exact science now of what I'm looking for. So the negotiation and the negotiation, there's, there's not a negotiation. It's, this is how much I value your company at. Would you like to do this? Yes or no. And, and that, that'll, that makes things go quicker. It, it cuts out the, the unserious talk, you know, 
and just because I, I I know what I know what I'm looking for, you know, and if their company doesn't fit what I'm looking for, then there's no reason to have a continued conversation anymore. Okay, I just want to recap real quick. So we're recording this in November 2021. In November 2020-ish, fall 2020, you took over from your dad, got full ownership, like did it by the book, so to speak, by March 2021. Yeah. In the last year, not only have you pivoted the company from being all almost all commercials now being all residential, you joined Service Titan, you joined Nexstar, you acquired a business you opened a training division and you also opened up uh, a new division, which is plumbing. Yeah. Two, well, two new divisions, but yeah. Electric as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, holy crap, man. What does that feel like? <laughs> yeah. We also went through a brand change and a logo change. We changed the name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just... amazing. Yeah. I, you know, at some point in, in, uh, it was about August when we, we had a manager meeting and they were like, can you just not like buy anything for like, just like the rest of the year, can you just not do anything else. Cause like it, we're there, you know, we, everybody, it was, it was hard, you know, totally. but again, th but this was the thought that I had. I, I, when me and my brother had that conversation, all I needed for him, I, all I needed for him was to say, yeah, go out and do it the way you would do it. That's all I needed. I knew he was behind me and I'm like, well, let's go. And believe me, our conversation was uh, not that polite. It was more like, yeah, F it, let's go, you know, whatever. There was, it was a lot, it was, it was a lot, uh, a lot worse. But as soon as I got that, I'm, I knew I'm okay. This is, this is the line we have to go down to do it. You know, we've, I, I've been, you know, everybody says oh, I've been in the business or whatever, but you know, I've seen someone run an HVAC company my entire life. You know, I've, I've never not seen that. So, you know, I'm very opinionated. I've had my opinions on how to do it for a long time. And, um, it was just, it, you know, I, I, I had had this plan. So as soon as it, it started going, you know, and I got other people's blessings and, and I got my group of guys, you know, my managers and everybody to, to play along, then we just went for it. I love that. What advice? So all of those changes that you made, people, other shops may make one or two of those changes in one year and be like, oh, we went through a lot this year. Yeah. What advice or what's like the biggest piece of learning you got from making all of that change in the last year? So like Nike, you just do it. You just mm -hmm. got to go. I mean, I, I, really what it was, was you, I, I am impatient, you know? And so once I completed I, like, here's the way I thought about it. And this is the way I think about everything in the business too. Once it's handled, I don't think about it anymore. It's done. I'm, I remove it from my mind. So, you know, we talked about brand change. Okay. So I got on service Titan. Good. I never have to worry about CRM software again. I'm good. Service Titan, you know, handle it. I'm good. All right. I need to be in a best practice group. I'm in next I'm in the best one that there is. I'm good. I don't have to think about that anymore. So those were two good things, but I didn't have much to think about. We changed our name. You know, I had always, Elfering is impossible to spell and try writing a radio jingle with Elfering. That's hard. Nothing rhymes with it. And it's not a good marketable name. So I knew we had to cut that part out. You know, we had gone through, we had some conversations with some other marketing companies that like want to change you into like rocket man heating and cooling or like surf dudes, HVAC. And I, I just, I don't like those. I just think they're silly. So since taking over the company with your brother, you've since grown 40% in total revenue, 
and you've had a $600 average uh, increase in your average service ticket. Yeah. What, that's incredible. Way to go. What's next for Gleason? Sewer is next in the business plan. So right now we're service, we're doing service plumbing, um, but we're not, we're not really doing much sewer work. So we're going to open um, a sewer department next year. We're going to expand on our electric division. So right now it's, it's small, it's minimal. We're doing generators, more things like that. Um, next, by next spring, we're going to be doing, we're, we'll, we'll um, expand those offerings. And then the thing that we've most recently done is we're putting a lot of chips in water treatment. So we, a lot in our area, there's a lot of wells where we are. There's a lot of older homes. So we're putting a lot of stock in uh, the water treatment. So far, it's, it's, it's great. The profit margins on water treatment are insane. Um, so that is definitely kind of the way is, is I feel like our HVAC division is, is really good. And we've been doing it for the longest and it's the most structured, you know, it has the most people in place. So I have, I have a really great plumbing division manager right now. So it's just going to work. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to put more attention on that as the year goes is on plumbing and sewer and expanding our electrical offerings and then, um, you know, keeping the water treatment moving. So that's, that's thought wise kind of process where, where we're going is, is a little bit over there. And then I, again, me personally, it's going to be, um, acquisitions and, and, um, you know, expanding the business like, like it always is. That's awesome. Jeremy. I have no doubt that you're going to get it done and in a year. You're going to be like freaking like four X where you're at now. So we definitely have to catch up. I've got a couple more questions for you. First off, and I think you'll have a good answer for this, is what's your most controversial opinion on the trades? Um, I have a couple. <laughs> tell me tell me them all. No, so I think I so the first one I, I I truly think is I at this point, knowing what you know and how you can do it, I think being a plumber, HVAC guy, electrician is more important of a job than I think the general public understands. It is, you know, they, the, there used to be those, those advertisements from like the forties and fifties that plumbers are the health of the nation, you know, and there's, there's a, um, there's a next, I remember that, that at our last thing we talked about, you know, the, the, the difference between us and a third world country is heating, plumbing and electric. And it's uh, Elaine Damshin. I don't want to just, say it without without saying who it was she she um she said this in this class and i'm like i'm like oh, that makes a lot of sense you know so i think that's that's a, a big part of it i you know i i it shouldn't be a stigma on hey i don't want to be a lawyer but I, I would like to be a plumber because there's a lot of guys who are in their early 20s who are making six figures being a plumber you know and they're doing something that that needs to be done not that lawyers don't need to be well um, would be the worst thing if they did, but but not that. It's just it's it's very good. And the other one is everybody. If you if you join a Facebook group of HVAC guys, everybody once a day, hey, where are you finding guys? There's more people who complain about where to find talent, and a lot lot less people who are encouraged to train to train guys. Nobody wants to, you know, and you see with a lot of guys, they, they don't want to train the apprentice. You know, they just get out of my way or just go grab this. The shops are not investing back in the company. You know, that's, that's the, that's the big thing now is, you know, we, we've grown significantly. 
but a, a lot of that money that that we're getting that's extra is all going back in the business. You know, we're well, I, I'm not growing it for this year. I'm growing it for what it's going to be. So you know, we're putting in a lot of money per employee, and there's a lot of shops that want to ask why their Indeed ad isn't going on there, but none of them that'll put the time and actually train guys. You know, they want everyone to be perfect right out of the right out of the thing and and you know get all these experienced guys but it just it doesn't work that way because i know if you're a really good experienced guy you're probably not going to leave your company if you're a good one you know there's plenty of disgruntled ones out there but but um so yeah i i think i think just a lot of complaining not a lot of action and a lot of stuff and i'm sure that's that's across the board in most things but i know the guys who have training programs in place are much more comfortable with their business than the guys who aren't. I, yeah, I definitely see that as well. Also note on like, because I think shops like yours are taking the steps necessary to keep their techs trained, um, get helping them with certifications, that kind of stuff. Why would you as a really good tech move from a shop that's doing that to a shop that isn't? You know, it's like it goes into like, what else are you getting out of the job? Right. And everyone has different internal motivation factors. But I think that's also something that's going to start coming up um, on play as well. Yeah. I mean, you want to train them so that they can leave and treat them well enough so that they don't. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. And again, so I was saying about the survey we did this morning, the first few questions were, why, why do you stay at Gleason? The second question was, what would make you leave? And we surveyed the entire company on that. And, and there was a couple there was more questions, but that that's the first two things. Cause we want to know, you know, what, what are we doing? That's keeping you here. And then what, what would somebody else be doing that, that would be better that, that would think you would want to go. And so we're trying to learn from our employees too. You know, we're, we, we, we want to have a good idea. And, and funny enough, as we surveyed all these guys, there was, uh, you know, two or three things that, that they thought we could improve on that were consistent throughout the guys. So that's a really good indicator of, okay, yeah, you're right. And and I agreed with them. We could do better in that area for sure. And so that's something else we have to work towards. So, you know, I think being in communication with the guys, especially putting that training into them, you get a lot out of it. You get more, you get more out of it than, than what you put into it. Once, you know, if you do it right. That's awesome. All right. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. Don't think just answer. Are you ready? Sure. How do you take your coffee? I don't drink caffeine, so decaf only. Okay. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Paul McCartney. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? Plumbing. <laughs> like money- actual plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> if money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? You know what? I just want to grow strawberries like on a field with hundreds of acres and like farm animals around. That's like truly what I want to do. It's like when people, people have all these things, like, yeah, if I had a bunch of money, I would, you know, I'd buy a Ferrari. No, no, no. I'd buy a Bobcat, like 3000 acres and I would just grow strawberries and, you know, be by myself in a field. It would be awesome. That's my favorite answer everyone's ever given. Um, What are some podcast book recommendations that you'd like to give the audience? So book wise, I, you know, I think it, it doesn't hurt to start out with HVAC spells wealth, you know, uh, there's still some good stuff in it, even where we're at now, as far as industry stuff, I like, uh, can't stop the growth. Uh, that's a good one. And then also HVAC masters of the hustle. That's a good one too. Nice. 
What's the number one thing every contractor should do to run a successful business? Care about the people that you work with. Amazing. Jeremy Lewis, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Are you looking to build a top tier service company? Service Titans Contractor Playbook is a handy guide to help you get where you want to go. Authored by the industry's greatest minds, this free all-in-one playbook will help you set your company up for success. Learn how to provide excellent customer service, establish your company's culture, market to new and existing customers, and more. Just go to servicetitan.com slash getplaybook to access the free digital guide. That's servicetitan.com slash getplaybook. Thanks so much for listening to Toolbox for the Trades. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you open the app and leave us a rating. Just tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. See you next time.